Good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, before we begin, let's continue in prayer. Uh, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are perfect in all that you are and all that you do. We come to seek you and worship you. Thank you for saving us. While we were dead in our sins, you opened the eyes of our heart to see your greatness in the face of Jesus Christ. We marvel at your grace and love. We thank you that you are with us. You help us in time of need. You encourage us when we are discouraged. You renew our strength when we are weak. You guide us when we are lost. You even discipline us when we stray away. Our soul rests completely in you. Our hearts are satisfied by your presence. O oh Lord, strengthen our hearts now that we may comprehend more and more with all the saints, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. May we never get tired of the gospel of Jesus. May we never stop marveling at the mercy and love of Jesus. As we continue to gaze at the perfection of Jesus, transform us more and more into his image. We take all our burdens and cast them on you because you care for us. Help us now not to be distracted by our burdens, worries, and other distractions so that our hearts may be strengthened by listening to the word of life. Holy Spirit, take your word and plant them deep into our hearts so that we may be satisfied more and more by the greatness of God as revealed in the scriptures so that we may be transformed more and more into the perfection of Christ. Help your servant to preach well. Give physical, spiritual strength to your servant. We pray according to the perfect will of Jesus. Amen. Now, good morning. Uh, it's great to worship the Lord with you. Now, you know that we are... We have stopped our series on uh, the Gospel of Matthew. We're on a long pause. So we're going to continue to give stand-alone topical sermons. And since today is my turn to preach, I decided to preach on Genesis 13. There are many reasons for that. Uh, one of the reasons is because I like to do what I call sequential or, or, or um, consecutive expository preaching. And all that means is, I take one passage from a book of the Bible, and when I finish that, I go to the next one. No skipping. So that's what it is. And the second reason I want to preach on Genesis 13 is because Old Testament is not often preached. And it's often misinterpreted and misapplied. So I want to preach on Genesis 13. And for the third reason, it's very applicable to us because it's about solving a conflict through a heart of worship. And we know that there's conflicts all over the place in our lives. And as Sanjaya reminded us during first service, especially now there's more conflicts during COVID because uh, mothers and fathers are home most of the time, so there's more chance of conflict. So this is uh, very relevant to our lives, and this is why I want to preach on Genesis 13. Please open your Bible to Genesis 13. Now, conflict is an inescapable reality in this fallen world. It starts from the moment that we are born until the moment we die. It exists in all relationships, in marriages, in churches, in workplaces, and even among nations. And even in marriages between two godly people, there will still be conflicts. It's an inescapable fact of life. You probably had a conflict with a family member or somebody else before you came to church this morning. How many people want to admit that? <laughs> so, conflict is a sad reality of this life. And it's a result of the fall in Genesis 3 because now 
we have problems within our hearts. We have to deal with our sinful, selfish hearts. And we have problems outside of us with other people who are also sinful and also with our environment. But the good news is that God is able to resolve. He's able to help us to resolve conflicts and make us into peacemakers. Conflicts now can be an opportunity for us to grow spiritually and to show others that God has transformed us and now there's, there's something different about us. And this difference should attract non-believers to Christ. In Genesis 13, we see how God used a conflict to grow Abram's faith and his spiritual life. And by looking at how Abram resolved his conflict in the right way, we can also learn from him and resolve our conflicts. Now, before we read Genesis 13, uh, let me remind you of the context of Genesis 13. In Genesis 12, God had called Abram to go to Canaan to build his kingdom, his new Eden over there. But at first, he, he obeyed because of his faith and love. But when he first faced his severe trial in the form of famine, his faith buckled and he disobeyed God. He left the, uh, the promised land and went to Egypt. But God protected him for his own honor by bringing him safely back to the land despite his sins. In Genesis 13, we will see that there's a change in Abram. He has experienced God's grace again in Egypt. And now he's going to fulfill God's promise to, na- to make his name great. He's going to become a great example of faith for all believers. And we will see that Abrams is a great example of faith by solving a conflict through a heart of worship. So this is what the chapter is about. Let's read this chapter. Genesis 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the Nagath. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Nagath as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Parasites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord. Like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes. And, from, and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give it to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if you and one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram 
moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of memory, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Now, in verses 1 to 4, uh, next slide, please. We see that Abram returned to the promised land. And what is important about this section is that Abram repented of his sin of disobeying God and came back to the land. He should never have left the promised land in, for Egypt, but should have trusted God in the promised land and go through the famine with perseverance. God wanted him to start a new kingdom, a new Eden in Canaan, but he dis disobeyed and distrusted God. As a result, the Egyptians stole his wife away, Sarai, but God protected him and Sarai. And through this trial, Abram experienced the grace and kindness of God. He completely messed up his life, but God gave grace to him and returned him safely to the land. And after he returned to the land, Abram didn't go to a random spot. He went to the very first spot, the first time he came to the land, where he built an altar and worshipped God. That was between Bethel and Ai. And by returning to this original altar, Abram was renewing his worship and commitment to God. Now, back then, that's how they expressed their worship of God. There was no temple in Jerusalem. So what they did is they just made a simple altar and made animal sacrifices as expression of worship and commitment to God. And we don't see just his worship, worshipful heart here in this verse. We could also see it in the end of the chapter. In verse 18, again, he set up an altar to worship God. So this tells us that this worship of God um, brackets the whole chapter. And in Hebrew narrative, when a major theme brackets a passage or a whole book, it is important. It's telling us that Abraham's heart of worship permeates throughout this whole chapter. Now, after he returned to the land, it seemed like everything was going so well. He's worshiping God. He says, he has renewed his commitment to the Lord. But then a conflict appeared in the promised land. There was strife between his herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. And this is in verses 5 to 7. So there was not enough grass or water for all of them because they have so many animals and people. And if this relational tension was not resolved, it could spin out of control, uh, hurt and permanently damage Abram's relationship with his nephew, Lot. And this is not acceptable. God's kingdom should not have strife, especially over material things. God's kingdom is a kingdom of perfect love, righteousness, joy, peace, and unity. Strife does not please God, and it must be resolved. God's kingdom is different from all the kingdoms of the earth. Now, there were many factors that caused this strife, but the main cause was the increase of the wealth. And wealth back then was measured by how many animals you had, how many servants, and precious metals you had. Verse 2 says, Abram was rich in livestock, in silver and gold. And this happened because the Egyptians gave it to him for his wife. And verse 5 says that Lot was also rich with lots of animals and servants and tents. So they, their wealth increased. If their wealth didn't increase, then there would not be a conflict at all. Now they couldn't expand the land because the natives were there. Verse 7 says that the Canaanites and the Parasites were there. So they couldn't expand the land. So the neighbors was one factor in this conflict, but the main cause of this conflict is the increase of wealth. Now we know from the Bible that money, wealth, is amoral. Being rich and poor is not a sin. But how we view wealth and how we use wealth determines whether we are in sin or not. The Bible tells us 
that if we love money, that is a sin. We should not worship money. We can have money, but we should not worship money. Wealth should not be the ultimate source of our happiness, security, and identity. God must be the, our highest source of identity, happiness, and security. Now, even though wealth is amoral, but it has the potential to be the source of many conflicts in this broken world. Uh, you may hear a lot of people say, the more money you have, the more, money, the more problems you have. And this is exactly what happened to Abram. Because Abram had more wealth, so he had more problems. A conflict resulted with Lot because the increase of his wealth. In this fallen world, there will always be conflicts, even among two believers, just like Abram and Lot. Conflict is an inescapable fact of life. But if we handle it well, it's an opportunity to grow spiritually and to attract unbelievers to Christ. But if we handle it incorrectly, we will be just like the world. We will also harm ourselves and also our family members and all those around us. Now, this relational problem is Abram's second trial in the land. And how does he fare in this second trial? So much better. He passed with flying colors. So much better than his first trial in Genesis 12. He did so many things that were right, pleasing to God. And there was reconciliation in the promised land. This is in verses 8 to 13. And we can learn a lot from Abram's comfort resolution. First, we can learn and see that there was initiative. As leader of the tribe, Abram was being proactive and took the initiative to have a conversation with Lot to solve the problem. Now, serious relational strife must be dealt with. They cannot be swept under a rock and let it fester and then at the end blow up. It will get worse. I know a lot of cultures tend to do that. But according to God, leaders must take the, take the initiative to solve problems. Uh, elders at the church, as the leader of the church, must take the initiative to solve major problems in the church. Fathers, as leaders of the family, we must take the initiative to solve major relational conflicts. If we don't, at the end, it's going to blow up and get worse. So initiative is important in solving a conflict. Now, second, we see gentleness. Gentleness. Abram says in verse 8 that they should not strive because they were kinsmen. Now, even though Abram was older and was not, was Lot's um, uncle, Abram came gently as an equal with, uh, with uh, Lot. He did not overpower Lot and exert his authority over him, but he came and spoke gently with him. He did not approach him and say, hey, who do you think you are? I'm your uncle. This is my land. Get out of here. Right? He was being gentle. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So Abram correctly applied this principle in solving a conflict by being gentle. Now, gentleness, it just means you're being kind and you, and you don't break things. You don't make things worse. You make it better by being kind. And when we have conflicts with our spouses and children and co-workers, we must come with gentle words. Uh, I know that whenever I'm frustrated uh, and not gentle with my words with my wife, I make things worse. I break things. I make it worse. But if I come with a gentle word, things get better. So gentleness is very important in solving conflicts. And we could be gentle and serious at the same time. You know, some people think if you're gentle, that means you're not serious. <laughs> no, you could do both. 
Now there, we see that there was grace. Abram gave grace to Lot by giving him the first choice of the land. And this grace gives glory and honor to God. It pleases God. To non-Christians, they may think that this is stupid. They may think that he's being stupid. He's letting other people taking advantage of him. But to God, this is great and reflects his glorious character of sacrificial love and grace. Now, I think that when Abram experienced the grace of God in Egypt, he became even more thankful. And as a result, he wanted to give grace to other people. Now, there's no better way to thank God for his grace than by giving grace to other people. Now, we, can also, we must also give grace to others in a conflict because God has given us grace so grace is a very important spiritual quality in resolving conflicts. Now, fourth, we see generosity. By offering Lot to pick first, Abram was being generous. He was willing to give the best part of the land to Lot. And generosity is closely associated with grace. And I think he, Abram realized that all, that he, all the wealth that he had acquired in Egypt was God's grace, God's generosity. He didn't deserve it. He got it because he sinned. The Egyptian gave it to him for his wife. So he did not deserve any of this. And so he felt God was being generous and gracious to him. And since God was generous and gracious to him, he was able to be generous with Lot. Now, another way to look at generosity is being sacrificial. In a conflict, usually each person must be generous or sacrificial. That person has to give up something uh, to resolve the conflict. Generosity, sacrifice is very important in solving conflicts. Fifth, we see that there was right priority. Right priority. Abram honored God by valuing relationships more than money, more than wealth. His priority was not money, but prioritizing relationships just as God desires. God is a God of relationships. Our triune God exists in three persons who exist in perfect unity and love. And he expects his people to reflect his character and being perfect unity and love with other believers. He expects his people to reflect his character. And Abram and Lot were not just relatives. They were both believers in God. Now, fighting with your relatives over money in an ungodly way is bad. But fighting with a believing relative is even worse. It's horrible. They would have been just like the world, selfish and worshiping material wealth instead of worshiping the true living God. And if they did that, you know what? They would be even worse than some unbelievers. I know some unbelievers who value relationships over money and keep the peace in the family. If they fought with each other, Abraham and Lot, they would be worse than some unbelievers. So in order to please God, Abram valued relationships more than money. He was willing to sacrifice wealth to preserve that relationship. He had the right priority, and he did the right thing. In order to solve a conflict, you must have the right priority. Six, we see humility. Uh, even though he was older and had more authority than Lot, he lowered himself and let Lot make the choice, the first choice of the land for his benefit. And this is grace, but it's also humility. And this is amazing humility, especially in the Middle Eastern culture where Abram is, fun, is from, because that culture is a very hierarchical culture, a very 
shame and honor-based culture, respect for older person in a family is a premium. So it was expected for a younger person like Lot to defer to an older person like Abram. So what Abram did was absolutely revolutionary. It was unheard of. You know, we're in Indonesia. An Indonesian culture is also a very hierarchical culture. And it is very, very difficult for a person to do something like this, like, like uh, Abraham did. So it's also, I think, unheard of in Indonesia. Because Abram was being humble. And one of the meanings of humility is to lower yourself for the benefits of others. And that is exactly what Jesus did for us. Philippians 2.8 says that Jesus humbled himself by taking on a human body and dying and suffering on a cross for our benefit. That is humility. And humility is a key ingredient in solving conflicts. And humility produces gentleness. In fact, in the Greek New Testament, the word for humility is sometimes translated to be gentleness because humility produces gentleness. They are closely related. Now, brothers and sisters, Abram correctly resolved his conflict by having these godly qualities of initiative, gentleness, grace, generosity, right priority, and humility. So if we want to solve our conflicts, we must also have these qualities. Now, how did Abram get these qualities? How did he cultivate these qualities? And where can we get those? The text is very clear. Abraham were able to get these qualities because of his heart of worship. He set up altars in the beginning and the end of the chapter. So his heart of worship permeated in the entire reconciliation process. His worshipful heart produced initiative, gentleness, grace, generosity, right priority, and humility. And that is why he was able to solve this conflict in a way that pleases the Lord. Now, based on what Abraham did and based on his worship of the Lord, we can also see two spiritual mindsets in Abraham. First, we see he had a greater faith. When dealing with the conflict, he trusted in God's promise to give him the land. Unlike in the previous chapter, he didn't trust God's promise to give him the land. That's why he left and went to Egypt. But this time, Abram trusted God, and he knew that he didn't need to fight for the land in an ungodly way. He knew that his job was to do the right thing, the honorable thing, the thing that pleases the Lord, and God will take care of the rest. This is why Abram was not afraid to let Lot have the first pick of the land. Because he knew no matter what Lot did, it would not change God's promise to him. It would not. So we see that his faith was growing. He was, he was trusting more and more in the promise of God. Now, you may be thinking, well, what does that have to do with me? What, what does God promise me? Well, guess what? This is very applicable to us. The very land that God promised to Abraham. God promised to grow that land and cover the whole earth. Jesus, when he returns, he will rule not just Israel, but he will rule the whole earth. And guess what? Jesus promised to us that we will inherit the earth. We will inherit the kingdom just like Abraham. Uh, Romans 11 says that we Gentiles are wild olive branches grafted into the olive tree of the Abrahamic covenant. We are heirs of the Abrahamic covenant. And Jesus reminds us again in Matthew 5.5 that blessed are the meek, 
that is the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. We will inherit the earth. God has promised us the same kingdom, expand the kingdom. So we do not need to fight for it in an ungodly way. We can follow the example and the faith of Abraham and do what is right and honorable before the Lord and have the right priorities, not live for money, but live for the Lord. Now, second, through Abraham's worship and his actions, we can see that he has contentment. He has contentment. If he was not content in God and his promises, then he will find contentment in money and comfort in money. If that were the case, he would never let Lot have the first pick. He will have the first pick. He will pick the, first, the best of the land to find contentment in more money, more wealth. But he did not. He found contentment in the Lord. He did the right thing. He made the sacrifice. He had the right priority. And he let Lot pick first in order to resolve the conflict. Now, contentment is a product of worship of God. And this is very clear from the Scripture. Look at Psalm 63, 1-5. The psalmist says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. This is worship. So I look upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift out my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. This is contentment. Contentment is a product of worship of the Lord. And this contentment enabled Abram to not become frustrated, to be gentle, to be humble. And we know that we tend to be frustrated when we are in a conflict with other people. I know that when I'm in a conflict, I tend to be frustrated. But if we have contentment in the Lord, we won't be as frustrated as easily. So contentment is very important. Now, brothers and sisters, you see, worship is so important in our comfort resolution. Our vertical relationship with God is the foundation for all our horizontal relationships, all our relationships with others. Abram's heart of worship enabled him to produce spiritual qualities of faith, contentment, initiative, gentleness, grace, generosity, right priority, and humility. We need to seek these qualities as we worship the Lord. Now, in contrast to Abram's spiritual maturity, we also see Lot's spiritual immaturity and sin. When Abram tried to solve the strife, the conflict, by offering Lot the first choice of the land, Lot immediately took the offer. And this was sinful. Now, you may be asking why. Why is this sinful? He's just taking the offer. It's sinful because he was ungrateful to Abram for all the blessings that he had received from Abram. Why did he get rich? How did he get rich? It was through Abram. Abram got rich in Egypt, and because of that, he got rich. God promised that he will bless Abram. He will bless those who bless Abram, and he will curse those who dishonor him. So Lot got rich because of Abram. Secondly, it wasn't just spiritual, uh, uh, physical uh, uh, wealth, but also Lot received spiritual wealth from God through Abram. It was through Abram that he heard the message of the kingdom of God, believed God, and went to the promised land with, with Abram. So he was saved through Abram. 
And on top of that, Abram was his uncle. He should have shown respect and de deferred to his older uncle. Now, I know that if you are from a Western society, it, it may be hard for you to understand why this is sinful. But if you are from an Eastern society, with, uh, Eastern culture, which is the culture of the Bible, it's much easier for you to see this. Now, if you talk to our refugees from our church from Iran and Afghanistan, they will tell you it's very easy for them to see that Lot was being sinful. He should have deferred to his older uncle. So when someone offers you something kind, don't just accept it right away. Think about what is the right thing to do. What is the proper thing to do before you accept it? You know, so when someone offers you uh, a free meal and says to you, hey, you could order anything on the, from, the, from the menu. Okay? You don't literally go out and order the 10 most expensive things from the menu and take the rest home. Okay? You, you should just order what is proper and be thankful. You see, Abram was trying to resolve a relational conflict by being generous and kind, gracious. And Lot should have reciprocated that kindness by not accepting that offer and by deferring to Abraham. Romans 12.10 says, I'll do one another in showing honor. And for Lot, especially in that situation, by disobeying this principle, he sinned against God and against Abraham. Now, actually, the best thing for Lot to do in this situation is not to leave Abram at all. Okay. Why? Because God was with Abram. Abram was God's prophet. There was no Bibles back then. The only way to get closer to God, to know God more, was through the prophet Abram. So to leave Abram is to leave the God of Abraham. To leave Abram is to not worship the Lord. He should have been content with his current wealth and be willing to sacrifice the pursuit of wealth, more wealth, and pursue God. When Abram offered Lot to separate, Lot should have said something like this. He should have said something like this to his uncle. Uncle, please do not, leave, uh, do not ask me to leave. I want to worship God with you. Since you are his prophet, God is with you. I also want my family to worship God. I'm willing to let you and your herdsmen have the best part of the land. We will not quarrel with you. I do not need to be more rich. I'm content with what God has given me. It's more than enough. If the land cannot support us, then I will sell my animals and let go of my servants. All my blessings is from you and from God. I have enough and I'm thankful for God for all of it. Please do not ask me to leave. Let's find another solution. That's exactly what he should have said. He should have been like Ruth. Remember Ruth? In the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 16, when her mother-in-law, Naomi, asked her to leave and go back to her homeland, Ruth refused to leave. She said, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. She had incredible worship of God. That was her priority. She had incredible faith and love toward God. And God blessed her. She even became the ancestor of David and even eventually our Lord Jesus Christ. But Lot was not like Ruth. He didn't express worship of God at all. Even though he was a believer in God, his faith was choked by material wealth. Material wealth got the best of him and distorted his thinking about the worship of God and distorted his thinking about relational propriety. He was an example of a disobedient believer, deceived by the pleasure of sin. We can also see Lot's sinfulness based on how he made decisions for his future. The basis for his decision-making was only about money. 
not about worshiping the Lord. Look at verse 10. It says that he moved to the east because the grass over there was greener. It was like the garden of the Lord. But in pursuit of the wealth and comfort, he went further and further away from God and his promised land and closer and closer to Sodom and Gomorrah. These two cities were wicked cities. Uh, you, could, you could look at the picture where that is, is on the edge of the promised land. So he's leaving the promised land. And verse 10 says that the people of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. They were not just average sinners, but they were great sinners. But Lot was willing to leave God and his people to join great sinners for the pursuit of wealth and comfort. His decision revealed that he was sinful. And later on, he and his family would pay a great price for it. They would suffer greatly. And we could see his suffering even in the very next chapter, in verse, uh, chapter 14. He suffered when he was captured in a war, and Abram had to rescue him. And in 2 Peter 2.7, it says that while Lot was living in Sodom, his soul was tormented by their sins. Solomon and Gomorrah were great sinners. He was tormented by their sins. But even though he was tormented, he was still too comfortable to move out. He still stayed there. And later on, when God destroyed supernaturally Solomon and Gomorrah, he lost his wife. And then later on, two of his, daughter, two, of his two daughters committed incest with him. Why? Because they learned it from the evil culture of Solomon and Gomorrah. Lot is a great example of a believer who is deceived by the pursuit of more money and suffer greatly for their sins. It is very tragic and is definitely not worth it. He is a perfect illustration of 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Lot pierced himself and his family with many pains because of his love for money. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Lot sowed to, to the flesh and corruption, and he reaped corruption and pain. Now, brothers and sisters, how are you watering your life? Where are your priorities? Are you pursuing God as your number one priority, or are you pursuing money? Don't be like Lot, who was driven by money and, was, and suffered for it. Now, I know this is an international church. A lot of people move. I want to ask, when you move on to your next destination, is it just about making more money? What well, do you think about how you and your family will worship the Lord? Do you even think about finding a good church for you and your family to worship before you move? You know, if you do not do that, I encourage you to do that. Don't be like Lot. And some Christians think that we can just keep on sinning because God will forgive us no matter what. That's true, you know, we were saved by grace. But if you are like that all the time, that dominates you, you should check yourself whether your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior is real. I would not have known that Lot was a believer unless Second Peter tells me he was a believer because it's hard to see that he was. He was just dominated by sin. I know Christian sin but I'm not sure about a Christian who is just dominated by sin is safe. And if your life is dominated by sin, it's hard to have assurance of faith. And the lack of assurance of faith is a painful struggle. I've seen many people go through that. So don't play with fire. 
And even if you're a believer and you willfully sin against God because you know that God will forgive you, let lot be your warning, right? You reap what you sow. There's consequences to your sin. If you commit adultery, uh, yes, God will forgive you, but you're going to go through a lot of pain and even a lot of depression. And you steal money, yes, God will forgive you, but you're going to go to jail. That's a consequence of your sin. So don't be like Lot. Don't think you could just sin and without any consequence. Now, after Lot separated from Abram, God reassured his promise of the land to Abram. And this is in verses 14 to 15. In this section, God was making a contrast between Abram's faith and blessing and Lot's sinfulness and suffering. In verse 10, it says that Lot lifted up his eyes to see the land. And in verse 14, God commanded Abram to lift up his eyes to see the land. So God is contrasting Lot and Abram. Lot in sinfulness lifted up his eyes and chose the best part of the land because his priority was making money, not worshiping God. In contrast, Abram lifted up his eyes in faith and worship, and as a result, God blessed him and reassured his promise to give the promised land to Abram. And God commanded Abram to walk through the land. That was a symbolic gesture to say that this is your land, is to claim it. This was not literal, okay? <laughs> Abraham did not go throughout every inch of the land. Okay, we know this is not literal because uh, this is a very, very common practice by a lot of kings back then. Uh, they would claim the land by symbolically walking around a small area. And we know he didn't go through the whole land because in verse 18, it says that he only went to Hebron. So this is just a symbolic gesture. Brothers and sisters, in this chapter, uh, we see how Abram resolved a relational, relational conflict with a heart of worship. A worshipful heart produces greater faith, contentment, initiative, gentleness, grace, generosity, right priorities, and humility. And if we want to solve our conflicts in our lives, we must also start with a heart of worship. The foundation of true lasting reconciliation comes from the heart of worship. The motivation and the power to pursue reconciliation, even when it's hard, comes from a heart of worship. I know there are times in the past where I didn't want to pursue reconciliation with other people because I was just so mad. But the Spirit of God convicted me, and I knew that I needed to change by praying and by changing my mind and my heart and force myself to reconcile. So this principle of worship is foundational for any reconciliation. And our worship of God should be even greater now because God has shown us more grace and love and kindness in Jesus Christ. Yes, Abram did well, but someone who is greater than Abram is here, Jesus Christ. He is a perfect example of peacemaker, of humility, grace, gentleness, and all those other spiritual qualities. Our hearts should be even more full of worship of God because of Jesus. And our worship of Jesus should produce even more of these qualities that enables us to reconcile with others. Now, if these qualities are missing in your life, I encourage you to re-examine your worship of the Lord. These qualities need to be in your life. These qualities are important for all conflicts. Now, even though these qualities are applicable to all conflicts in life, they may look differently in different situations. For example, if you have a conflict with an older person, then you need to show more gentleness and humility. 
Talking to an older person is different than talking to a younger person. So you need to know how to talk gently with an older person. And this also depends on your culture. You need to understand your cultural cues. So resolving a conflict is a skill. And like any skill, it requires practice and coaching to get better. So I encourage you, if you're in a conflict, seek out an older, uh, not necessarily not necessarily older, but a, a godly and more experienced person uh, to help you to uh, overcome a conflict. And there are also many resources that can help you in this area. And one of the practical resources, uh, if you please show this slide, is this book called The Peacemakers by Kent Sandy. He also has a book particularly for families, resolving conflicts in the family. It's called Peacemaking for the Family. These are all great resources. And he also has a website called rw360.org. He teaches you how not to get into a conflict in the first place because it's hard to sometimes entangle yourself when you are in a conflict. So check out these resources and grow in your skill of conflict, conflict resolution and honor God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for you have saved us, transformed us, and we are different. We experience your love and grace, and now we can reconcile with others. Help us to worship you, to grow in these qualities, that we may honor you, and at the same time be filled with joy, peace, love, righteousness, and kindness. Help us not to be deceived by the pleasures of sin. It never fulfills. It always leaves us empty. It always causes us to suffer. It always even give us depression. Father, strengthen our hearts. Warn us. May you bless this church for your honor and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.